0: Thank you for listening to the Grace Harvest Church podcast. For more information, go to graceharvestchurch.org. Last weekend, we celebrated 35 years of the faithfulness of God to Grace Harvest Church. Amen. And during that time, we also had a prophetic conference where we brought in two speakers who came in and not only preached to us, but did personal prophecy and personal ministry over a number of people within our church family. And uh, it was an incredible weekend. I know a number of people had their lives rocked. And, uh, and then the rest of us are trying to figure out, you know, where do we go from here? What's next? And, and that's actually my message today. My message is now what? What are the next steps on our prophetic journey? So I want to talk to you today about how do we respond when God talks to us? When God talks to us as individuals through human vessels, but also what do we do and how do we respond when God talks to us as a church family? What are some principles that we need to walk out and live out when God speaks to us? Because God speaks to us, amen? Do we believe it? Like, you know, some people teach that God is mute now other than talking to us through the Bible. But the Scripture is very clear that God continues to speak to us in a number of ways. He speaks to us through creation. He speaks to us, of course, through Scripture. This is the more sure word of prophecy. But He he speaks to us through people and prophecy and gifts. And He's been doing that uh, from time immemorial. And it didn't just suddenly stop because He gave us the Bible. He continues to talk to us. And so that's what we're going to talk about is how do we respond? Because when God speaks to your life, it's going to do something inside of you and it's going to require something of you. And so we're going to look at that today. And uh, I'm going to move really quickly and do a lot of editing on the way because uh, a lot has happened here today. And I got up here and preached at you already one time. And so I took from my own time. So shame on me, but I felt like I did the right thing. So, you know, I'm kind of conflicted today, right? So a couple of things to start with. Something we have to understand when God speaks to us is that once He speaks, what He has spoken to us is going to Take us through a purification process, that the word itself is going to be purified. Um, Psalms twelve six says this: the words of the Lord are pure words, like silver refined in an earthen furnace, purified seven times. What's that mean? When God speaks to us, the word will be purified, and because the word is attached to our life, we will go through purification. So I don't know if you know this, but you're some of you about to go through some fire, and it's good fire it makes you ready for what God wants to do in your life. Because the reality is, is when God speaks to us many times, we're not ready for what He wants to do. Secondly, Hebrews 6.12 says this, so that you may not be sluggish, but imitators of those who through faith and patience inherit the promises. So faith plus patience equals promises. Or you could say it this way, faith married patience And they had a child named Promise. And this is something that's really important that many Christians miss, and that is when God speaks to us, we immediately have faith, right? We have the amen. We're like, yes, I believe it. God said it. That settles it. And then delay happens. Time passes. Trials come. Tribulations happen. Disappointments take place disillusionments happen, people let us down, and we begin to question, did God really speak to me? And the answer is yes. But now you have to marry patience to your faith. And that word patience, it doesn't just mean, oh gosh, I'm waiting. But it's a Greek word, hupomone, which means to wait expectantly in hope. And it also means to endure, to persevere, to press through when it's difficult, to trust when it doesn't seem like God is doing anything. Amen? So that is going to lay the foundation of what I want to share with you today. I'm going to try to get through all four of them, but we'll see. But I have four principles for you today. The first is reject rejection and cast off compromise, or excuse me, reject rejection and cast off comparison. I don't know why I said compromise. Maybe that was for somebody. It was a prophetic slip. (laughs) Reject rejection and cast off comparison. There's this beautiful story in John chapter 21. I'm going to read it to you and go through it. Uh, But in John chapter 21, it's after Jesus Christ has died on the cross for our sins. So he's died in our place. He's been buried. He's risen from the dead. And now over a 40-day period, he appears to his disciples over and over again. And they see him and they touch him and they eat with him. And toward the end of this time, or one of the times he appears to them, it's not toward the end of it, one of the times he appears to them, he, he comes to Peter after doing a miracle of multiplying a bunch of fish and he meets him on the shore and they eat a meal together. Then he takes Peter and he walks along with Peter and he says, Peter, do you love me? And he asks him three times, he uses a different Greek word. The first couple times and the last time he says, do you love me in self-sacrificial love? But he says, Peter, do you you love me? Do you love me? Do you love me? And after he goes through that process with Peter, he reinstates Peter because Peter had denied Jesus. He denied that he even knew him. So he reinstates him and then they're walking along and something really interesting happens. And we'll we'll read the uh, text. We'll pick it up in verse 18. Look at it with me. Uh, Jesus says this, truly I tell you, he's talking to Peter and he gives him a prophetic word. Truly I tell you. When you were younger, you would tie your belt and walk wherever you wanted. But when you grow old, you will stretch out your hands and someone else will tie you and carry you where you don't want to go. He said this to indicate by what kind of death Peter would glorify God. After saying this, he, he told him, follow me. Now, now this is what's interesting. Peter's talking to Jesus. Jesus tells him how he's going to die, and we'll get into that in a minute. Tells him about his future. Gives him a prophecy about his future. And then he says, follow me. And so imagine Jesus is maybe next to you or he begins to walk, and he says, follow me. Instead of Peter going, okay, and starting to follow, he does this. He turns around and he looks behind. He looks back. And look at verse 20. It says, Peter turned around right after... (laughs) This is hilarious. This is so Peter. Follow me. Huh? He turns around. So Peter turns around and saw the disciple Jesus loved following them. By the way, John wrote that. If you're the author, you can insert things like that. The disciple Jesus loved. That would be me, Peter. So, the, saw the disciple, Jesus loved following them, them, the one who had leaned back against Jesus at the supper and asked, Lord, who is the one that's going to betray you? When Peter saw him, he said to Jesus, Lord, what about him? Now, I just want you to think about your own life today. How often do you get caught up in the trap of feeling rejected and wounded and comparing yourself to others, and in your mind to God, you're saying things like, what about them? Why do they have it so good? Why are they so blessed? Why why didn't I get what they got? Right? And so he says, Lord, what about him? And I love the answer of Jesus. If I want him to remain until I come, Jesus answered, what is that to you? As for you, follow me. Okay, so just think about this with me. Walk through this with me. First of all, Jesus gives Peter a word about his old age and his death. And to me, that's pretty heavy. I mean, he tells him how he's going to die. And if you know the story of Peter, Peter was crucified upside down. He's crucified by the emperor Nero. They came and got him to crucify him and kill him as a martyr for Jesus. And they were going to crucify him like they crucified everybody else. And he said, I'm not worthy to be crucified like my master. Turn me upside down. One of the things that's powerful about it is, you know, so-called Satanism, one of the symbols of so-called Satanism is the upside down cross. And people see an upside down cross and they're like, ooh, that's evil. No, it's not. It's been ripped off from the church. Peter was crucified upside down. The upside down cross is the story of one who loved Jesus so much he didn't feel worthy to share in it. So what happened is the enemy just stole our symbol, right? The upside down cross is Jesus, I mean, is Peter crucified, just ripped us off again. So that's how Peter dies, right? And He's taken, another takes him, carries him, his hands are tied, he's hung to a cross, they take him and, and, and hang him upside down and he dies on a cross upside down. Secondly, Peter wants to know Jesus' plans for John. And that's like so many of us. Peter was missing his own moment. Think about it. Jesus is talking to him, telling him about his future, and it says, follow me. And Peter's like looking behind. And that's what so many of us do. We compare our journey and our future to others. And Jesus didn't let that continue. He, he turned, and then Peter turns around, he looks back at John, and his focus was on the wrong place at the wrong time and he was missing his moment. And I think that can happen to us as well. And then Jesus tells Peter basically mind your own life or mind your own business. Some people seem to get more spectacular prophetic words. You probably noticed last week and some people got really long words, very detailed and maybe others didn't get words as long or maybe you were here and you were like, you were praying, God, let, let, let them see me. Let them speak a word over my life. I really want to see, receive a prophetic word. And then the weekend finished and nothing happened and you kind of went away like, wow. And here's the lie. The enemy comes to you and says, you know, God doesn't love you like he loves them. You're not quite at that level. They're special, you're not. And, and this lie begins to ring in our head, or maybe, here, maybe this was the lie. The leaders called them up, but they didn't pick us. What does that say? And see, that's a, that, all of that is a lie. How many of you know you have a conference like that and everybody wants to hear something from the Lord, but only a certain number of people can? So the question is, has God tied His own hands and said, well, the prophetic team came, and I didn't receive a word, therefore, God's done talking to me. That's a lie, right? And if we get caught up looking at what happens with other people, we'll miss what God wants to say to us. See, so I wonder if, if it even went into Peter's mind or into his heart. When Jesus spoke to him and said, this is what's going to happen in your future, did Peter even hear him, or was he too busy looking over his shoulder at someone else? And I want to tell you, I mean, I've learned this in my own life. One of the greatest traps that a Christian or a human in general can ever get caught in is the trap of envy, comparison, and looking at others. Because the thing that always comes to you is a spirit of rejection, an attitude of rejection, where you begin to compare your life, you don 't know other people's story, you don't know where they've suffered, you don't know what journey they've been to to get to that point where God spoke to them, and you're on your own journey, and your journey looks way different. everybody has a unique and beautiful story and testimony, and God's not going to waste your story to duplicate what he's done in somebody else's life. so quit looking at someone else, quit comparing your life and quit. Receiving receiving rejection God loves you I just love how I just love how Jesus what does Jesus say to him Peter Lord what about him Jesus what is that to you as for you follow me I mean you know with words that's like stop it right? Secondly, we have to trust God's timing for our life. We really do. I mean, there's this incredible story in the Old Testament of David when he's called to be king. God, because of Saul's disobedience, God's ready to move on and give the kingdom to David. And David's a teenager, probably around 15 years old. And David's a shepherd and he's out with the sheep. And one day this prophet Samuel says to Jesse, David's dad, he, said, I, he sends a messenger and he says, I want to come to your house and I want to have a feast. And when he gets there, he says, call all your sons. I want to, I'm going to anoint one of them as king over Israel. So Jesse lines up seven sons, all strapping young men, warriors who look the part of a king. And they all stand in front of the prophet And the prophet goes to the first one, and in his mind, he looks at him, and he's like, whoa, he looks like a king. Just like Saul had looked like a king. He looks like a king. And the prophet Samuel goes to to the first son, and he begins to prophesy over him, and the Lord says, nope, he's not the one. Because human beings look at the outward appearance, but I'm looking at the heart. And so then Samuel steps back and goes, okay, okay. And so he goes to the second one, no. The third one, no. Fourth, no. Fifth, no. Sixth, no. Seventh, no. He's looking around. He's like, Jesse, the Lord's not speaking to me about any of your sons. Is there something you're not telling me? Oh, yeah, I'm sorry. I got this little runt, this little guy that none, none of the family loves. I mean, think about it. They didn't even call him. They didn't even call him when it came time to to put in a new king. He wasn't even in their company. Yeah, I have another son. He's out there in the field. Go get him. And they bring David in. You can just imagine because the the language about David is just really cool. I mean, he says he's a good-looking guy. He had beautiful eyes. He's healthy, handsome appearance. And, you know, you can just imagine David's like, hey, man, what's up? Ooh, the prophet. Cool. Got a word. You know? He smells like sheep. Every once in a while, you know, he's in the middle of talking and he's like, oops, sorry about that. You know, he's been with sheep so much, right? He's got the smell of sheep. He's got that on him. And Samuel looks at him and says, this is the one, the rejected one, the forgotten one, the one left behind. And you know, when you go and look in the Bible, that's the story you see over and over again. God seems to choose people that the rest of us would never choose. Back to the story. So what happens? David gets oil poured on his head. Samuel says, "You're going to be prof. You're going to be the king, rather." And then David immediately, the power of the Holy Spirit comes on him. He's lifted up. The next chapter, he kills Goliath. He becomes a great champion. He starts going out with Saul's armies and winning lots of battles. And then Saul gets jealous of him and starts throwing spears at him. The king starts trying to kill him multiple times. And David has to flee, and he flees into the caves. And he goes through. Are you ready for this? He goes through fifteen years at least, of rejection, being forgotten, passing through the fire. And it seems like everything God said to him about his future wasn't going to happen. It seems like it's all a farce. You can imagine David being like, now Samuel, the Scripture says of Samuel that none of his prophecies ever fell to the ground. And he's like, maybe I'm the one that he missed. Maybe he missed it. And then we look at the Bible and what we see over and over again is we see the story of people who received a message from God and then had to wait, sometimes for decades. Abraham, you're going to be a father of many nations. All the families and all the world's going to be blessed through you. And Abraham's in his 70s, late 70s, and he looks at his wife and, he's, and she's in her 70s and he's looking at himself he's like, you know how babies are made, God, right? I don't know how this is going to happen. And sure enough, what happens? He waits 25 years. Whoa. And then Moses, I'll deliver my own people. How dare you come against the Hebrew people? And he kills an Egyptian and he flees and he spends 40 years in the wilderness with sheep. There it is again. Right? And, and that pattern goes throughout the Bible. Paul, the apostle Paul gets converted. Saul of Tarsus gets converted on his way to Damascus, and in the midst of that conversion, you know, he's humbled and he's struck down, and the scripture says he stands up and he immediately goes out and preaches Christ, but the scripture doesn't tell us that actually there's a gap right after that of around 13 years, Galatians tells us, where Paul seemed to go into the desert of Arabia, and for a while, he's almost forgotten and he comes out of that and he becomes the Apostle Paul who writes half of the New Testament, but not before he first passed through fire and struggle. And so what I want to say to you is if God is speaking to you, or God spoke to you, or you received a promise in the past, hold on to God. Look at Jesus, follow Him, and understand that delay is the process that God uses to get the stuff in us, out of us, that's going to keep His Word from being able to be performed. I'll tell you what, if God gave us what He said over our lives immediately many times, it would crush us. If God lifted some of us up and, and made us known or gave us influence, we couldn't take it. We'd get puffed up and full of pride, and we'd think we were all that, and then we'd have to be humbled publicly, right? And so what does God do? He takes His servants through times and seasons of loss and suffering and struggle and fire and disappointment so that they might learn to cling to Him, to cleave to Him, to trust Him alone and learn that He's good. Amen? Okay, I'm almost done. Famous last words. I'll be done by uh, about two. Okay, just kidding. Oh, yeah, by the way, took David took David 15 years to first become king over Judah, and then another seven years of waiting before the rest of Israel anointed him as king. So 15 and 22 years from the time he received the word to the time of the fulfillment of it. All right. And then here's something. Sometimes when you receive a word, it's unclear. And and what we have to do is we have to commit the unclear parts of our word to God in prayer. 1 Corinthians 13 says... We know, 13.9 says, we know in part and we prophesy in part. So, quick explanation here, um, a couple of stories. Sometimes when, when a prophetic person prophesies over someone, speaks over someone, uh, they're not seeing everything clearly. They're getting parts and pieces Right? And, and I shared with you a few weeks ago that the, t- the standard in the New Testament, in the gift of New Testament prophecy is not that you get stoned to death if you miss a prophecy. That's not the New Testament standard. And we already went into that. So if, you, if you're like sitting here today and you're like, really, I want to hear that message, go back and listen. I think it was two Sundays ago I talked about the fact that, you know, that, that we're learning, that we see in part and we prophesy in part. Anyway, I don't want to get bogged down here. but. Uh, Years ago, I was in a church. I, the ministry you saw last weekend is what I do a lot of times when I go out from the church. So when I go out and I go to other churches and I'm not here on a Sunday and some of the other guys speak, I'm at another church and I'm doing this kind of ministry, okay, where we're calling people up, prophesying over them and, and giving them words. Well, years ago, I was at a church and, I, and they brought up a, a young married couple and uh, we, we gave them a word. And I came to a point in the prophetic word where uh, as I was praying for them, I saw blueprints in my mind and I saw them sitting down with like planners and they were planning out their house and they were, they were looking at blueprints and they were choosing what they were gonna have as a house and their flooring and their carpet. And I saw that and I began to speak that to them and I said to them, I see in the future, the Lord's gonna bless you with a home and I see blueprints and you're picking out and God's gonna do this and it's gonna become a house of hospitality and people's lives are gonna be blessed through it and ministry is gonna happen through it. And they start to chuckle and everybody in the church starts to laugh. And I'm like, what's going on? You know, let me in on the secret. And then they, they stopped and, and, and they said, well, we just sat down last week with blueprints and we picked out our house and we're moving forward on getting it built. It's already happening. And see, I saw it as a prophetic thing in the future and that's the way I interpreted it. I saw it and I interpreted, oh, that must mean God's gonna do that in the future. But what was happening was actually what's known as a word of knowledge, the gift of word of knowledge, which is knowledge about something that is hidden with God, That is revealed to us something that is either in the past or the present. And so at that moment, I got a word of knowledge about something that was already in the process of happening, but I projected it being in the future. Another time I was in a church and a, a guy came up for prophetic ministry, and, uh, and this is a guy that's actually at House of the Lord, and you know Travis. And Travis said, uh, this is many years ago, like 25 years ago, and uh, I gave Travis a prophetic word and I call, I said, you're going to lead people in worship. You're going to be a worship leader. And he, he laughed, and everybody around laughed. I don't, I don't think anybody said, have you heard the guy sing? But I mean, it was kind of like, really, Travis? No, he's a police officer now. But uh, he was like, he comes up to me, and he's like, nah, I, don't, I don't know, man. I, I don't do the public sing lead. Pe- no, that's not me. okay. Maybe I missed it. Maybe, maybe the Holy Spirit just, I, I was confused what I saw and I didn't understand it. Maybe you're just going to worship in the church with the congregation and your, your spirit of worship, you know, that kind of a thing. I just tried to, well, I don't know. I come back like, you know, 15 years later, he comes up to me and he's like, hey, um, I just want to tell you something. Do you remember years ago you gave me a word that I would be a worship leader? And I said, No. And I, I wasn't doing that because I was in denial. I just, I don't remember what I say to people, especially 15 years later. And he said, Yeah, you gave me this word that I was going to be, you know, a, a worship leader. I just want you to know I've been leading worship in the church for several years. And, um, and I'm, I've transitioned out of that now. I'm not doing that anymore. Somebody else has taken it, but I was the worship leader in the church for a long time. And of course, I was like, Whew. And then I walked away going, Yeah, baby, come on. yeah. Thank you, Lord, for bailing me out. (laughs) See, he wasn't even open to it, but the Holy Spirit spoke to him. So sometimes when we hear a word from God, it doesn't seem to confirm what we know or believe about ourselves. And what we need to do is we need to take that message and put it on a shelf and commit it to God in prayer and just be open to whatever the Holy Spirit does because you may not be at a place yet where you're ready to walk in what you've heard. It's also possible that the person missed it. They just misinterpret it, and that's okay, and that's where your maturity and your wrestling in prayer about it, you, you bring it to God, and you're like, okay, you know, I don't get this. I'm going to trust you with it, but maybe they just missed the Holy Spirit, and, and, and I'll take the things. Remember what I shared with you from 1 Thessalonians 5. Uh, we don't despise prophecy, right? We don't, we don't quench the Spirit. We don't despise prophecy. We hold on to what's good. We reject what is evil right? So we hold on to what's good. So you go through there and get the meat off that bone, cast the bones aside. Amen? And the last thing. You ready? If you received something from the Lord and you're not sure about things in the future, here's the last point. After we've had a mountaintop experience and God has spoken to us and revealed Himself to us, our job is to move forward in God's will now. What do I mean by that? Do you all remember the story of the transfiguration? If you don't, this is what happened. Jesus takes Peter, James, and John. He goes up on top of a mountain. He's up there with them on the mountain. They're like, this is cool. And then all of a sudden, Jesus begins to change right in front of their eyes. All of a sudden, well, he's shining like a light. He really is. His clothes are even shining. Luke's gospel tells us the clothes were uh, like shining. And then Moses... The great giver of the law, the great prophet of the Old Testament, and Elijah, the great prophet who's gonna herald the coming of the Messiah. Moses and Elijah appear on the mountain with Jesus. Jesus is shining, Moses and Elijah are there, and Peter does what he always does he takes his foot, he puts it in his mouth, and he talks. Okay, and he says, Lord, this is great! Let's build three tabernacles, three tents. And we can do pilgrimages here, and I can make some money on the side. No, he doesn't say that, but the implications are this will become a pilgrimage place. And at that moment, a cloud overshadows them, and Father God speaks from the cloud to Peter and the disciples and says, Peter, shut up. That's Doug Sherman's paraphrase version. He says, this is my beloved son in whom I am well pleased. Listen to him. And at that moment, Peter and the disciples fall on their face, and the cloud lifts, and they lift up their eyes, and there's no one but Jesus left. He's just there alone. And he walks up, and he takes them by the hand, and he says, don't be afraid. Rise to your feet. And they get up. And then he says this, don't tell anybody what happened up here. That's just cold. That's so mean. Can you imagine? Keep it to yourself. I wonder sometimes if Jesus would say that and then just kind of turn around and go, you know. So they come down the mountain, they come down the mountain after having this incredible experience, they can't talk about it, and the first thing that happens is they face a man in an argument with their other disciples because his son is demon-possessed. And that's a good picture of what happens in our life. You know, I found out last week right after we were finished our prophetic conference, a family in our church left and on the way home hit a deer. And it was really traumatic for one of their children and I know other people really went through things, and God speaks, and what happens? We have to come off the mountain, and when we come off the mountain, we come right down into a place, into our life, where there's darkness, where there's conflict, where there's struggle. And, and if we're afraid, or if we don't understand the moment, we'll misinterpret it, and we'll be like, where did God go? Doesn't He love me? Why does He call me into this conflict right after meeting me on the mountain? And that's what often happens to us. And yet, what does Jesus do? He's not intimidated. He comes down off the mountain. He casts the demon out of the boy, heals him, and goes right out into his ministry. And that's what we're called to do. When God speaks to us and takes us to the mountain, it's so we can get equipped for what's in the valley. That moment of vision, that time of hearing his voice, that encouragement that we felt, what God is doing is so we can go to Moses Lake, we can go to Zimbabwe and the Philippines and the state of Washington, we can go to our neighbor, we can go to the grocery store, knowing we're commissioned by Jesus Christ with the authority he's given us and with the power he's given us and we are the bearers of good news. And we're called to love our neighbor as we love ourselves, and take the ministry of God that's been prophesied over our life and over us as a church and to take it to the highways and the byways and to people that desperately need God and liberate them, heal them, and be the instruments and the vessels of God's grace. That's what we're called to do. Don't keep it to yourself. So, I finish by telling you this. Strengthen your walk with God. This is the time to strengthen your walk with God. Don't live needing a prophetic word all the time. Don't go to every prophecy conference because I need God to talk to me. God wants to talk to you in your bedroom. He wants to talk to you as you walk through the grocery store. He wants to talk to you right as you're driving down the road. He wants to talk to you every time you open scripture. He wants to meet you in the pages of the book and speak to your life and lead, guide, and direct you. He wants to talk to you about your marriage and your family and your children and your neighbors and the people at the store. He wants to talk to you all the time time. Do you believe it? Yeah. Yeah. And it's gonna, here's the beautiful thing. It's going to look different with everybody in this room. I mean, there are going to be patterns and principles, but you know, each of you has your own language. Some of you, when you put on worship music, you experience the presence of God and God uses the lyrics of the song to speak to you. Some of you, music doesn't do anything for you. But when you're outside in creation When you're working in your garden, when you I know some people, I know this is going to sound like the devil, but some people, God talks to them when they do the dishes. Sounds like the devil to me, but just just kidding. I'm the one in our house that does the dishes, so. But God will meet you and speak your language in the place that you are. Amen.